Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Welcome everybody. Um, we're all together now. Uh, okay, I have no, I have no idea where we're going today. <laughs> I don't understand uh, uh, the subject matter at hand. I must admit from the outset, we're going to be, we're going to be looking into the the the, the secrets, the mystical um, tradition and its secrets. And I am no expert, far from it. Um, um, in that in that realm of of, of Jewish uh, thought, but it's important and and feels relevant uh, uh, at this moment in our journey through the Torah and in our journey th journey through the Jewish calendar. And what we have this week is something we get every year, which is a, a kind of a, a, an, an intersection of the Torah and 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 Jewish time. That is, that is kind of, it's kind of meta. It's like we're talking about the thing that we're doing because we are in the middle of this period known as Sfirata Omer, the counting of the Omer. And every, that's a period which is, we'll soon discuss seven weeks long, 49 days long, um, 50 days long, depending on, on, on whether you're including um, the, the, the goal, the, the final day, Shavuot. And, during that period every year, we read the Parsha in the Torah that discusses um, this, this act of counting. Let me just put it on screen for you now, just so we, we have that in our minds right away. I'll, I'll soon share it with you as well. But this is, this is it, it just, it feels like, oh, right. That, every year I feel like, oh, oh this week we're, we're talking about it. We've already been doing it. And inevitably in Parsha de Mor, we come upon this, uh, commandment. Uh, I should say also, why do we? Because Parshat Emor is the first place in the Torah where we get the Jewish calendar in full, or at least the biblical calendar in full. This is the first time we've heard of holidays before, most significantly Passover. We've alluded to the other festival days, and um, we had a description of Yom Kippur, an elaborate description of Yom Kippur. And of course, there's always been Shabbat from the very from the very start. And let's keep Shabbat in mind as well, because it's a you know seven-day cycle, which will be 
very, very, uh, very relevant very quickly. But we're listed, we lit in chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus, we start listing the, the, the biblical holidays and, and, and therefore giving the Jewish calendar. Some people say the Jewish calendar was given the moment we left Egypt, because the very first thing God said as we were leaving Egypt was, this, this month will be the first of months for you. So it's as if the calendar is already being suggested, the, 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 the cycling through time, um, both lunar and solar is being suggested. You'll track months and you'll, and now I guess now actually you'll track an entire year. Maybe, maybe now we have a full sense that these months are gonna rotate into a solar calendar as well. Um, there's blue lunar calendars, there are solar calendars and Judaism is a, is a, is a loony solar calendar. Okay, um, so what, 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 why am I giving all of this detail and information? Because there are the holidays, and yet in the middle of two of the holidays, we're given this counting, um, um, this counting uh, commandment, this counting procedure, and this is what it looks like. Um, from the day on which you bring the Omer of Elevation offering. Okay. Which is to say that um, that that day, um, the day after the Sabbath, is the first uh, day after Passover. It's not really the Sabbath; it's the the Passover rest. I'm going to change that here because this is a big debate between the rabbis and the the Sadducees, later the Karaites. But we read this Sabbath to mean the Passover um, uh, day of rest. So the day after Passover. You take the first ripe bundle of grain and you wave it before God, as if to say, I am now about to offer you this grain. But then you count off seven weeks. And then here's that language, usfartem. This is our key word for today. Usfartem, you shall count. Or here it is in a different form. You shall count off seven weeks. They must be complete. Usfartem lachem yimachrat shabbat miyom haviachem et Omer Hatnufa, Sheva Shabbatot, seven weeks. And the word for week, by the way, is the same word for, word for Shabbat, Sheva Shabbatot. So Shabbat is already kind of in there. Seven complete weeks they shall be. You count until the day after the seventh week, which is 50 days. 50 days. Admi Machrata Shabbat Hashivit, after the, 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 the seventh week, you count 50 days. Tisperu Chamishim Yom. And then you bring a new offering of grain to God. Okay, so that is, you can see it's encased in a kind of an agricultural um, process where you first are saying, here's the, here's the very new grain, but it's not ready to be offered, but I show it to you, God. And then you count until the grain is, has ripened enough to bring a grain offering. And that's what... Um, the holiday of Shavuot in the Torah seems to be, it's the day you bring the first grain offering to God, as if to celebrate the harvest, the harvest festival. It's a harvest festival. And what you have to do there, the commandment says, is to track that time between the day after Passover to Shavuot. And if you'll notice, you track it in weeks and you track it in days. It says that. It says you count seven weeks and you count 50 days or you count 49 days. So that's the commandment. That's the mitzvah. 
is to count those days. Now, the mitzvah, the commandment, is clearly tied to an agricultural process and a temple offering. So um, what happens when the temple is destroyed and the Israelites are no longer living in, in, in the land that they would be growing this offering? Seems like this, this process vanished. You would assume we just don't do that, just like there are a hundred other laws in the Torah that we just don't do now that we have, now that we don't have a temple. We don't, we don't make offerings altogether, but it does say to count and we can still count. And so the mitzvah, the way that this is practiced now in our you know, diasporic and onward um, community is just to keep counting just to track that process from Passover to Shavuot by counting days and weeks. Today, today is the 26th day of the Omer, which is three weeks and five days of the Omer. Okay, that makes sense. And that's what we do every day. In fact, we do it at night and there's, a, there's like a certain ritual or process for doing it, but what the heck are we doing? What the heck are we doing at this point? Just counting for no reason? It's disconnected completely from its, from its origins. Now we just count. And I, that's where I wanna head in with you because on the one hand, there's something cool about the idea that now we just have this ritual that's just about counting. And so it, 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 it sort of forces us to ask the question, what is important about counting? Spiritual, what spiritually, intellectually, psychologically, what does counting do for us? I know that that sounds like a bit of a, so, a question so abstract that it's almost silly, but on the other hand, it's forcing us to ask questions about the role of math and numbers in our lives, which is great, which is great if we stop to think about it for even a, a second, right? And just saying that word, you already have a sense that, that we're, you know, it's, it's all over the place. So we'll think about that a little bit, just the role of counting in our lives, but we will also think about um, what the tradition then, that uh, tradition's not gonna be satisfied with just leaving it there. What is the tradition done to take this, this counting process, which we've now decided is obligatory anyway, and turn it into something meaningful, independent of the ancient temple rites and independent of the ancient agricultural cycles? And um, there are various ways to do that. Maybe the most obvious way to do that is just um, that there, it's the time between Passover and Shavuot. I said Shavuot is the harvest festival, but the rabbis later decided, they sort of figured out the dates and they said, oh, that was also the day, if you, if you map it out, that was the day we received the Torah, right? Probably academics would say that was just a slapped on overlay on top, but it works out pretty well. And one way or another, now we celebrate Shavuot as the day we receive the Torah. So this is the counting process between liberation and revelation. Whew. Okay, now that's big, the counting process. But um, there's, there, that's one way of thinking about it. And that's the way that I've usually thought about it. It's prepping for receiving the Torah. But there is a famous um, uh, form of counting that developed in the Middle Ages. Um, that is strongly associated with um, Kabbalistic thought, with the Kabbalah. And that is the counting of these days through the 10 divine emanations known as the Sfirot. And you may have already seen it. It's almost become 
partially because this is such is such an empty um, an empty vessel, just numbers and nothing else. So people are looking for ways to make it meaningful, and this has become one of the most. I dare, dare I say popular, it's hard to call a, a mystical, almost incomprehensible process um, popular, but, but you'll, you'll see it around, you'll hear about it, and today we're going to try and, 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 and understand where it came from, how it developed, and what significance it might have for us, because I'll just say, and then we'll, we'll say a blessing and begin, I'll just say, I have to say, the reason that I'm teaching about this this year is because I have been counting the Omer, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, mostly unsuccessfully, because there's an idea that if you miss a day, then you can't say the blessing anymore. You can keep counting, but you can't say that like, because they have to be seven complete weeks if you, you have to do every single day. So there's something about the counting itself that becomes a kind of manic, can I do this right? It's almost like a, an, a game, the counting. And that has significance unto itself. But this year for the first time, I really started to appreciate the power of counting through these 10 um, divine emanations. That's the best translate. We'll get better translations as we go, okay? So, um, so let's get ready, but buckle in because this is gonna be a wild one. And as I said, I don't know, I don't know quite where this all goes, okay? So we'll say a blessing and then we'll begin. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotavitzivanu lasok b'divrei Torah. I almost said the blessing for the Omer there, having talked about it so much. Okay, um, let me give you now a source sheet, and we're going to take a look. Um, we're going to follow a method that we often do in this class, which is we're going to start just linguistically, semantically, and we're just going to think about our key words and try to give just some texture and definition to the very idea of being lispor, to count. Okay, so here is... Um, Oh, someone wants a source sheet, I see in the chat. Yes, well, here you go. Um, so here's the source sheet. Um, okay, so we just looked at this. Um, you, you, you may know that all Hebrew words or most Hebrew words have three letter roots. And this is our three letter root here. Samech pei resh. Here it is again, samech pei resh. And that's you shall count off seven weeks and they must be complete and you shall count until the day after the seventh week. So it's the counting that is the commandment here. Now, um, this, what's the first thing to say and understand about this root is that it has at least two primary connotations, right? Saper or sefer, right? I bet you can just speak them out. One of them is counting. What's the other one for this root? What's the famous use of this root? Tell a story. Good, good, good. Sipur, Sipur, telling a story. Lisaper is to tell a story. And we know this, we'll get to it soon, through the tradition we have, a very famous tradition we have of being Lisaper Bitsiat Mitzrayim, telling the story of leaving Egypt. That's one of the things we do. That's one of the things that makes us who we are, is telling, telling stories in general and telling this story. So right away, that's in, I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. I hope you do. That counting and storytelling are related. Counting and storytelling. And you know, uh, you can you that you can even get that in English with counting and recounting to recount. Right? So there's some relationship there that I want us to start thinking about. What is the relationship between um, enumerating 
and 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 narrating, right? Or relating. Okay, but let's just, I just wanna give us a little more uh, meat to work with and then I'm gonna ask you questions like that. So let's just look, um, where is, where is the, the word first used? It's first used in its counting meaning. Um, and it's first used when Abraham um, calls out to God and says, I am going to die childless. I'm an old man and I haven't had any children. And God promises Abraham, don't worry, you're going to be fine. And Abraham says, how do I know that I'm going to be fine? And um, God takes, a, his name was Abram then, or Avram. God took him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars. Uspar hakochavim, if you are able to count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. So go out and count the stars. That's the first usage of counting in our tradition, go out and count the stars. And God says, if you can, if you can. Now, what's the connotation there of counting? Now, first of all, it's just like, it's counting, it's counting um, as a way of organizing the natural world, which I think is important as we, as we think about like the role that, that, that math and science have, 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 have begun to play in our begun, has now played for centuries in our lives, right? So that first counting being a counting of the known universe is, is interesting. But I wanna just also emphasize that the counting here implicitly is impossible. That you cannot count all of the stars. Or at least God seems to be saying, you can't possibly um, count all, my stepfather, uh, Larry is here and he's studied a lot of astronomy. And I think he could verify that like, that he can't count, we can't count all of the stars. That's, I think that is probably an impossible task. Yes, Larry, is that right? No? Uh, <laughs> uh, you could, it'd be difficult. <laughs> okay, all right. So maybe, maybe that's God's point. It's just like, See if you can, but I don't think you can. Okay, fine. So, um, so, so that's that's the first use of counting. And frankly, this word lispor is mostly about counting, counting, counting stars, counting sheep, counting all kinds of things that get counted in the Book of Genesis. It doesn't take on the meaning of storytelling until the arrival of a great uh, recounter, a great teller of um of images and that is joseph joseph is the first person to be misaper in the storytelling or the recounting um connotation and um we see this first when Go joseph dreams another dream although interestingly again it's about stars he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers by saper otolachav he told it to his brothers and he said, look, I've had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So this is the first usage of storytelling counting. And it's the same language as counting counting. And I have to believe that there's some kind of echo there that they're both about the stars. But now the stars are a story. There's the mama star and the daddy star and the brother stars. And they're all bowing down to the Joseph star, you know, or the Joseph, you know. Okay, so that's, I hope you think that's already interesting. I, I, that's already a lot to chew on. I want to give us one more touch point for, and I, we've already mentioned this, but it's important. The, the great touch point for thinking about the storytelling aspect of 
um, of this word, which is in this, this, the story of the, of the Exodus. Um, then um, God said to Moses, this is in the, um, the, the third Parsha, the, the beginning of the, of the third section of the, of the Torah. I think that's right. Um, um, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe bo el paro. And then God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers, his, his servants, in order that, that I may display these my signs among them. And what are God's signs? Think about that for a minute. What are God's signs among them? And that you, uleman tisaper, and that you may recount, in the ears of your child and your child's child, how I made a mockery or a mess of, of Egypt and how I displayed my signs among them in order that you may know that I am God. Okay, all right. So that's, that's the famous usage. I'm doing all of this so that you can tell the story. That's, that's what's important about all of this, is that this is a story you will tell for generations. This is the story that will define who you are. Storytelling is a big, 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 big deal in our tradition. But let me stop here. <laughs> Speaking of, 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 of talking, um, let me stop talking and ask you now just to think a little bit about what the relationship might be between enumerating and, and elucidating, <laughs> enumerating and, and narrating, storytelling and counting. Why are these, why are these related um, actions or concepts? Any, any thoughts on that so far? Yes, yeah, L. One might, might be the theme and the other might be the details of the theme. Good, good, okay, good. So there are different ways to tell a story. You can tell a story, the big picture, the theme. You can tell a story, the data, right? So that's, the, right, there's different ways to, to, to tell a story and numbers are one way to tell a story, statistics, the data, the but, but and you're saying the theme, the details. Okay, good. That's good. So anyway, that's okay. That is great. That's a great kind of uh, uh, kind of a running start here. We're often and running, and I want now to take us to this um, this kabbalistic place by immediately introducing one of the great kabbalistic concepts, which is the concept of the spherot. I mentioned them at the outset. So what are the spherot? Well. Okay, and what is Kabbalah, first of all? Um, Kabbalah just means the received tradition, meaning it's been, it's been passed on. We, this is the received tradition, and, and, the, and it's thought of as Jewish mysticism because it's not the explicit revealed tradition, but it's been received from generation to generation, and some people are holding this tradition. Kabbalah and the Kabbalistic period in Judaism, we really talk about as ex exploding in the 16th century, in the 1500s, especially under the leadership of Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the Ari Zal, the, the Holy Ari, um, who uh, remarkably, he actually came up from Egypt. He was Egyptian, came up from Egypt and then spent a few years teaching in the land of Israel in Sfat, did not live for very long, but changed Judaism entirely. Like just somehow whatever this guy did and taught was just, it was just accepted as the truth. He just had something about that power and the concepts he put out there from 
like Hasidic to uh, to 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 Mizrahi to 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 Lithuanian to everybody sort of you know except for like outskirts of like Western Northern Germany everybody pretty much took on this Kabbalistic um, framework and he had a lot of concepts that have now become standard in Jewish um, in the Jewish lexicon like Tikkun Olam right? he had a very specific idea of what Tikkun Olam meant fixing the world. Um, fixing the cosmos really in his, but the, the, one of the things he did not come up with this one, but one of the things that he, he traded in a lot was this idea of the spherot, the 10, we, we often say the 10 divine emanations. I'm not sure that's a, uh, you can hear spherot is related to our, the word we've been looking at, the countings, the numbers, the stories. Okay, what are, what are they exactly? Well, the first place that they appear is in one of the classic mystic texts, which predates the Arizal. In fact, it's earlier than the than the, it's earlier than medieval, because medieval uh, rabbis are already commenting on it. And the book is called the Sefer Yitzira, the Book of Formation, and it presents itself as a kind of a, a secret, right? Not for everybody, but a kind of a handbook that tells you how the world was created. And it's not easy to understand, and I don't understand it, and we're not probably not going to understand it, but it does contain the first mention of this, these spherot. And it's just fascinating how it, how it comes out. Um, yeah, we don't know who wrote it. They say that Abraham wrote it. Um, we don't know exactly where, where it first appeared, but, it, but by the Middle Ages, people are talking about the Sefer Yitzira. So let's take a look here. This is the very first teaching in the Sefer Yitzira. And this is not yet the Sphero, but same language you'll see. Very hard to understand, but we'll do our best to at least get the basics. So here's where counting starts to become a mystical practice. With 32 wondrous paths of wisdom, did Yah, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the living God, King of the universe, El Shaddai, merciful and compassionate, exalted and elevated, who dwells eternal, sublime and holy is God's name. That was just all one name. With 32 wondrous paths of wisdom, did that God carve out and create the universe? That's quite an opening. In fact, you know, you might have expected the Torah op to open that way. Right, but the Torah is much more, in some ways, much more prosaic. But this is like the mystical, wondrous path with which God created the universe. And then, and I'm going to give you the punchline. But before I do, by the way, anybody have a sense of why 32? Why 32? With 32 wondrous paths. Oh, Noah, do you know? Yeah, with the 32, we I believe we can look to. I think it was last week's portion that the. 30 somewhere the Bayafta Laracha Kamocha. It's like that 32nd verse of the ah, ah. in this case, uh, that's that's a cool connection. In this case, I think the 32 is there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alpha alphabet. 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and 10 numbers. Not really 10 numbers, but in a decimal system, 10 kind of primary numbers. Okay. Uh so, so I'm just hearing clicking. Who's who's not muted? Just hear some clicking. All right, check your mutes. Um, all right. So with 32 wondrous paths, did God create the universe? 
And then as if it doesn't seem so connected, but it's a very important line for us with three Sfarim. Now, what are Sfarim? It sounds like the word for books, but it's more like there are three, three versions of Safar, three versions of this root. And one is Sefer, and one is Sefar or Separ, and one is Sipur. Besefer, Separ, Sipur. Okay. Now, literally, I would translate that as book with book, with counting, and with story. I looked at um, at uh, 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 Arya Kaplan's translation, and I really like it. With three books, with text, with number, and with communication. Okay, so book counting and see poor, but what does that really represent? Text, number, and then interesting that this is a separate category, but communication. I like that. Okay, so now. I'm gonna pause again and ask you, what do you make of that? Because there's something very, now God created the world with the, first of all, the, the letters and the numbers, the letters and the numbers, the, the 22 letters and the 10 numbers. God created the world with those. Okay, we already know, or at least have been told that God created the world with words. That's like, that's the great Jewish cosmology. God spoke the world into being. That's a philosophy of language, right? Language has power. Language is creative. Language is gener generative. That's, I talk about that all the time. That's Torah. That's Pshat. But now God created the, the world we, we have to know and that Kabbalists want to, us to focus on in a way that we haven't focused on as much before this um, in text. We, 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 God created the world with, with, with letters and numbers. And then once we've said that, we can think of, of them all falling under this, this word sapar, lifor, right? And, and we've already seen that it, those, those things are connected to count and to tell a story. And the, the versions of it that this Kabbalistic text gives us are text, number, and storytelling, communication. So we've already begun this, but now with a little bit more uh, mystic kind of overlay, what, uh, what do you think? What do you, like, how, how are these the primary building blocks of the world? What does it mean to say that letters and numbers are what we make the world with? Payam? Dialectical relationship. Um, the words are subjective truth and the numbers are objective truth and together they form communication. That's how we communicate with both subjective and objective truths. So you need both in the creation of the universe. You can't just have a subjective world and you can't just have an objective world. You need a combination of to have the world as it is. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Payam said it perfectly. I'm not going to repeat any of that. But that's, that's a great way to think about the need for these two pillars, the numeric and the linguistic. And one, be, that, I love that. The, the, the subjective and the objective descriptions of the same thing. Love that. Okay, so, so and that I think parallels the conversation we're having about um, the spherot and whether the, this system of divine emanations is meant to speak to some truth about God or just to try and describe the undescribable, to use, um, a, uh, and I think, Math, with math, you know, maybe, maybe there's more of a debate, but I think ultimately with Jen, 
you know, when it comes to our theology, we have to tilt in the direction of this can't, nothing can possibly describe God, but this is the most precise system that the Kabbalists um, had and they used it and got obsessed with it and kind of started to map it onto everything. So what are the 10 divine emanations? Well, we still need to do a couple of more, a couple more steps before we have even some sense of what, which we saw that the word, the word sefer, sapar, safir was used there in the, in the, the sefer yitzir, which is this, that word again, the book of, of formation, but the actual word sfirot, Spherot, the, the the emanations, or I, I don't even know what you would call them, the 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 enumerations, the the qual, they get used to mean the ten qualities of God. They are first spoken of in the last. Um, this is almost like poetry, right? This is the first uh, teaching in the first chapter of the Sefer Yitzira. You see, it's we just studied this, and this is. It really is like poetry. Uh, it's like pure mysticism here. It's like pop, very, very difficult to understand. But this is the first mention of the Sfirot. Elu Eser Sfirot. After a long discussion of all the different permutations of God's name, which you know takes up most of that chapter, Elu Eser Elu Eser Sfirot. These are the ten Sfirot Blima, and nobody knows quite how to translate this word. But I would just I'm translating it as intangible, without substance. Blima without substance. So these are the 10 intangible. That already tells you, by the way, if they're intangible, they're not, are they real? Who knows? Okay, and then um, the, the poetry, the mystic poetry goes on and says, from the spirit of the living God emanated air, from the air, water, from the water, fire, or ether, from the ether, the height and the depth, the, um, the, the east and west, the north and south. I think if you add those up, you get like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, sure, I can make that public. Anyway, it's it's I I don't understand this. Okay, so I'm not going to pretend to. But what I will say for our purposes right now is that this is the first mention of ten, ten intangible properties which come to be thought of as the ten qualities through which God manifests in the world. That is the easiest way to say what the, what are the spherot? They are the ten qualities through which God manifests in the world. Because precisely because God doesn't actually, we don't know what God is. God doesn't appear in the world. We don't have any sense of what God is, but we do have a sense that when we see beauty in the world, that feels like God, right? Some aspect of God, and we have a sense that when we see love in the world, we feel some kind of div divinity in that. When we see majesty, power, might, grandeur, there's something, something godly about that, okay? I'm just using a kind of a layman's way of describing what it might mean to see God in certain qualities in the world. And the particular qualities that the, that the Kabbalists eventually name, and there are various versions of them in different systems, um, but here's one version of them. Um, these, this is like, this is a from, perhaps uh, familiar to some of you. Uh, this is the spherotic tree, they sometimes call it. And it's uh, because it, it, it is meant to, to not just list the sphero, but also to, to tell you the order, because there's some kind of order as if God is somewhere up here unknowable, 
and God comes down and is kind of filtered into the world through, I don't even know how this works, okay? Like even these little uh, numbers in the middle are alluding to some way of playing with the system that I don't fully understand. But here are the qualities. The top quality is kind of mysterious. It's just called the crown. That, that I don't know. Maybe that's the closest to what God is, so it crowns the system, but it's a little hard to understand. The next qualities are wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Chokhmah and Binah. The next qualities are, are love or kindness, chesed, gvura, strength, and beauty, tiferet. So we see God in all of these things. The next qualities are um, netzach, victory. Uh, I would translate that as endurance, perseverance, permanence, lastingness, and then hod, which the, I have loved this translation here, empathy. And then finally, foundation or stability. And then the 10th is, it's funny, we started with a crown and we end with malchut, which means um, sovereignty or royalty. Now, there's a lot to say there, but I'll just say one thing, which is that the idea is that we experience God as kind of like, we talk about God as like the king of all the world, but that's just, a, that's the lowest metaphor we have for God. The ruler of all, that's like a very, that's the bottom of the, truthfully, God is, is all of these other things. And truthfully, God is beyond all these things. But these are the various qualities that we use to talk about God. Okay. Now, with that in mind, and I say I'm even running out of time, and this is, this is a lot that we're trying to understand the mystical secrets of the universe, but let's at least get to how this turns into accounting of the Omer um, chart. So what they do, and here I want to turn one last text here. I want to turn to um, an incredible um, medieval text by um, um, uh, uh, Josef Gicatilia, Gicatilia, a Spanish Kabbalist. And Gicatilia, um, I think, means um, uh, like Gicatilia, like little kid or something like Gicatilia. It's some kind of cool. But Josef Gicatilia, who writes a book called Share Ora, The Gates of Light. And it's the first real attempt to explain all of these spherot. And he says the following. He says, and so here in the, in the eighth gate. And so after giving, having given you all of these deep hints, we return to the intention of this gate. Instead of chapters, they're gates, right? That's the kind of book this is. So after giving, I've given you so many deep hints and now I want to return to give you the, what, what I wanted to talk about from the start. And he says, know this. Any place in the Torah where you find a counting of sevens, such as, and we, these, are our, these are our verses, they shall be seven complete weeks, you shall count 50 days, or uh, you shall count seven weeks of years. That comes later. That's the Jubilee year. All of this is the seven svirot from Binah to Yesod. Okay, what does he mean by that? He means Binah. This is Binah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. These seven here, all of this is the seven Sphero uh, from Binat to Yesod. And we begin from Sphirat Yesod until we ascend to Sphirat Binah. Okay, again, not going to be able to explain what that means, but it means on some level that we're starting here and we're going upwards to here, right? Trying to get closer to God, I guess. That's his system. Okay, now that's his system, but the actual system that we use, you might have noticed he didn't start at the bottom. 
But the system we use starts at the bottom and doesn't go all the way up to Bina. It uses the seven lowest of the spherot. And this is what it looks like. And this is what it means to count the spherot through the prism of these 10 divine emanations. Okay, um, here, I just, I just wrote this out, but this is what it looks like, okay? It's a little complicated, but every week is assigned a particular one of the emanations. So love is the first week. It's the second line in, in each of these uh, rows that is the week. And then um, power is the second week. Beauty is the third week. Perseverance is the fourth week, is the one that we're in. We're right here. We're on, um, on this day. Now, every week has a quality associated with it, and every day has a quality associated with it. So all, let's call them Sundays. Actually, they are this year. All Sundays are love days. All Mondays are power days, right? Today's a Thursday. It's an empathy day. So what happens is you, as you move through the counting of the Omer, every day has two qualities. And the way that we speak about them is that today is hod shebenetzach, meaning empathy within endurance. So today is the day when we meditate on what it means to, um, to, to, to have empathy in an enduring way. Okay, that's, that's sort of, that becomes the spiritual system for counting through the weeks. Okay, let me just stop there because I don't want to just end on like details. Let me just stop there and ask you, we've done a lot of work to get here and who knows where we really are, right? It's like, I'm talking about one of the most, one of the, one of the most um, um, esoteric uh, concepts in Judaism, the 10 wrote. But what does it mean, just some final thoughts here, to take the system of counting, which once was agricultural, right? Which was based on this word of storytelling and which has come to be the counting between Passover and Revelation. What does it mean to take them and now start mapping onto them all of these, these 10 um, divine qualities, right? And moving through the counting system by enumerating divine principles, okay? So that, <laughs> That is a question which is almost impossible to answer, but there we are. So let's at least reflect a little bit on what it might mean to work through this, why people might think this is a good way to, to count through the Omer, because the truth is what the Kabbalists did was to map these 10 qualities onto everything. Every part of your body is associated with one of those qualities. Every name of God is. So part of what we're asking is, what does it mean to take 10 qualities of God and just to try to see them everywhere? So that's a couple last thoughts. Matt Silverstein. Uh, I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Yes. Okay. I'm putting back on my heathen hat. Um, I haven't worn it in a while. Um, Welcome back, Matt. <laughs> thank you. I think that, from my perspective, these people are ignoring stuff. They're they're making everything into this something else, into this other thing, and it's not really where we are. And they talk talk about how they're dealing with the world as it is but in fact they're making everything into they're not being here and they're not seeing this world they are making everything into so we have to connect everything and it's the, this thing and it's the other and it's nonsense and i think 90 percent of the time you don't get it because there's no getting 
to get. There's Great. no there. I, I so appreciate that because Matt is, is there's, there's a reason why mysticism remains a subset of religious thought in most religious tradition, because not everybody's willing to go in that direction, to sign on to some idea that the, the deepest truths are these sort of irrational, unknowable codes of the universe, right? That's not, there, 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 there are debates within Judaism as to how much we ought to accept. I said that since the 1500s, most Jewish communities kind of embraced whole cloth, the teachings of the Rizal, but some resisted and some continue to resist. And now in modernity, when we've become re-rationalized, again, we have a, a suspicion, and Matt is articulating it well, uh, of these systems that try to like, tell us about the divine codes in, any, in everything, and in a sense, reduce everything to just like the, 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 the mystical equation. You know, all of the mitzvot have their reasons. They're grounded in practical, real human concerns. You know, they, they all have different purposes. And now you're taking everything and just making it about like the codes of God. So Matt is articulating very, very well a kind of a debate that always exists in religious traditions between mystics and, you know, it's funny because you, the other side, you don't think of religious people as rational. There's something mystical about religion altogether. But imagine Maimonides on one side and the Arizal on the other side, and the religion makes sense on some level. Um, uh, on the other hand, um, no, the religion can't make sense. It's beyond all sense or reason, right? So there's a tension there, and Matt is, Matt's seizing on onto that tension and it's very important for us to keep that in mind um so one way to i said i didn't count this uh the omer with these qualities for many many years i've become kind of intrigued with them this year but it is perfectly legitimate and in fact the mitzvah itself is to disregard the system and many do because of some of the kind of like what is this gobbledygook um sense that matt is, has just articulated well for us um ariella last comment um well i think that when we start at Passover and the telling of the story and we end at Shavuot, which is Revelation, and as we go through the different spherot, that we're actually moving from the story to Revelation. Great, great. Thank you, Ariella, for, for taking the other side and embracing this, like the power of such a system to, to tap us into some kind of like some kind of like a spiritual ladder, a kind of a, a way of, 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 of creating indeed a kind of a, a spiritual formula or equation that will allow us, if we practice it, to ascend, to ascend. And so these divine qualities, these sorts of abstract meditations can be read into our mitzvah, but also read into the story itself. Because after all, as Ariella says, it's still about the liberation, the revelation, the journey towards the land, the offering of these first fruits, the sense of gratitude we have. got all of those things are still present, but now there's a kind of a, a code for accounting them. And I'll end in, in that spirit that Ariella is articulating with this last um, passes, uh, passage in, in um, Shari Ora in Yosef Jikatilia's book. And this is exactly the kind of thinking that becomes classic of Kabbalistic literature, which is to see the, the Matt, Matt's uh, contention is that it all becomes kind of blurred into like 
you know, the garble of, of swirling concepts that don't actually have any meaning independently of, of one another. But the exciting, if you're excited by this sort of analysis, it's because everything starts to become connected, right? The Arizal once said, I, I, he never wrote anything down. And they asked him, why don't you write any books? Only his students wrote books. He said, because I, once I start talking, I will, I will never stop because everything is connected to everything else. So with that in mind, I'll just end with this passage from Chikatilia. And he says, that's why, you know, you count up in these weeks. That's why there are 50 days of counting the Omer until the giving of the Torah, just as Ariella was saying. And why the 50th year is the Jubilee year. And why the world was created with 50 share binat, 50 gates of understanding, and why the children of Israel went up chamushim, which literally means armed, but he's seeing there as a hint to the 50. They went up in 50s. And why the redemption from Egypt is mentioned 50 times in the Torah. And he counted it up. He counted it up. So that's like, that's what Kabbalistic interpret, and that's all, you know, if I had no other goal today, just give us a taste of what Kabbalistic interpretations of the Torah look like, which is to start looking for patterns. We always look for patterns of language in this class, but also to look for patterns of, of numbering and enumeration. And then once you have a system of numbering, to read that back into the Torah and to start to see these, all these kind of divine echoes, um, um, which may, may start to sound like an echo chamber to some of us, but to some of us are gonna sound like, you know, the, 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 the harmony of the spheres of the, the, that divine, divine music. Okay. Uh, one last chuckle from Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks everybody for your Torah today. I'll see you next week and uh, happy counting. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 